start when they figure exercise? Like, what is the, the primary focus in exercise? I yeah, wait. I mean, that that question changes a bit depending on the situation, right? Um, if you're somebody who has a specific pain problem, um, then maybe that uh, changes as opposed to, I just want to get fit. Yeah, but if we're talking about, like, what is foundation? Like, people think in terms of, yeah, you start at your feet. Yeah, you start at your eyes. Yeah, you start at uh, whatever, gate. Yeah. But it's not even uh, a midline. It's something that just still needs to be described. Would you say, like, off your definition of midline, that that is the start? So as far as starting out a exercise program that conveys that there is a core or a like a foundational block to the principled approach, um, the biggest thing that needs to happen is we need for the body to be autonomic in the places that it will traditionally be reflexive and autonomic. Uh, the more that we can favor autonomic function, the less our brain will feel like it has to predict and allocate fuel toward uh, prediction effort. So we'll feel safer, more stable, and inherently less uh, energy deficient if we have better autonomics and reflexive uh, behavior in our body. So uh, the most important autonomic that we can probably attend to is breath in that it facilitates majority of the subtlety of autonomics in the remainder of our body. Uh, I'm sure many people have experienced the thought of becoming super conscientious of their breath and then forgetting how to breathe. So in the opposite side of things, if you spend some time remembering how to breathe or rather practicing the delivery of breath, your system will become considerably more autonomic. The stress state that you'd associate with the, oh, I forgot how to breathe will be the exact opposite. You'll be like, oh man, why am I so strong? Why am I so stable? Why am I so calm? When we talk about midline, the middle of your body is not what we're talking about. We're talking about the brain body connection. If you think about like a a tree building out roots, the foundation of where our brain exists in our body is our viscera. It's not the stuff you can see. It's not the stuff that we like to play with and like to do most of our stuff with like our hands and our arms. It's majority of it is our organs, like our heart, our lungs, our intestines, our liver, our kidneys, everything that tells, uh, that doesn't tell us anything. It does the job of maintaining our function. So like an engine block, if anything goes out, like, uh, for example, I just had an intake, uh, air, uh, air intake tear. And so my, my car wasn't operating as effectively as it could, because there was one thing that was not operating in its efficiency. So everything else was either slowed down. And in the case of a car, there's not going to be like a compensatory mechanism of like, let's make it more efficient again. It's just going to lag behind. If you don't have autonomics for an extended period of time, you'll be like that car and you'll probably start lagging behind. There won't be that compensatory, let's fix how this is. It'll be like, we're in a state perpetually that's stressed out. We're in a state that's for the most part, not safe. And we can't perceive how we're gonna get ourselves into a state where we don't feel like we have to focus so much on just maintaining, just existing, which would be autonomics, the background information, the computer code that's going off that we don't really have to pay attention to. If you build out a good breathing habit where you're practicing a couple of those breaths, you're going to start to realize that your breath interplays with your throat, interplays with your palate. A lot of the places that are involved in eating, in consuming, 
one of the things, the main ways in which people lose their life generally on this planet is a lack of strength and integrity to their mouth and their throat. So they'll either choke on their esophagus or tongue, or they'll have uh, too little ability to sedate the amount of um, panic and stress that otherwise exists in an inflamed visceral region. So like this stuff is requiring too much effort to feel like it's getting proper activity after a long period of lacking autonomics. And if your breathing habit doesn't ingratiate calm or clarity and it further exacerbates stress, then that's more than likely the gradual decline of someone's last few years on the planet where it's like everything's getting harder, everything's becoming more panicky. And like I said, the way in which to improve that is to improve your autonomics. So if I'm going to give you a simple exercise, this is the one that most of my clients come back to me saying, dude, whoa. Uh, fundamentally, I actually stole this from, I stole it from Jesse uh, Oliger, the guy that created the breath belt. Uh, I think it was like, uh, I reached out to uh, Junior Lioso, the guy that owned and ran uh, Pacific Beach Training. Now he has another gym in Hawaii and someone is uh, looking after his PBT here. Uh, but I had reached out to Jesse and maybe even Junior and I had, I think, met um, uh, Maurizio at Hydrocore, which may have like there was a picture and they were like, oh, he's friends with them. Let's invite him in or something. So I linked up with Junior and he showed me how the breath belt worked. Same day, my dog pooped in his gym, which was really awesome. Uh, and then I think it was a couple of weeks later, I met up with uh, Jesse and he went with like two and a half hours of explaining the process to me. And I think it was just because I impressed upon him that I was smart enough to understand the other side of thing, the side that made him really passionate and excited about what he did. And so we spent two and a half hours of him. It's actually a post on my story. I look mentally uh, defunct at the end of it because I was like, I'm so tired. I can't. <laughs> There's not a you need to stop. <laughs> so I just look stupid on the video. But uh, the takeaway was I use his belt. and I even use it today. Uh, and it helps me perceive the inside of my body around my organs. Why that's important is because there's tons of muscles there. And so when I'm breathing, instead of me breathing to the affect of breathing into my bigger muscles that I'm more familiar with, like my bicep, my pecs, my back, whatever, I started to breathe into the space that was in between the belt. And I started to actually feel what it felt like for my intercostals, my, even my organs themselves to start to uh, brace a little bit better. And two years later, uh, I've been given, I guess, the parameters wherein I could have developed, I, I could build my stress tolerance. And the breath belt was like one of those identifying things that helped me start that journey where I didn't have to think about the effort. And it gave me so much of a, a an assistive, not so much a crutch, because the crutch would have made me less effective in it afterwards. It gave me all the tools to become tremendously interoceptive. And so I have really strong ribs now. I have really strong uh, anaerobic breathing muscles. So I could like move the muscles without having to take a breath. And, um, it's just cool to know that because our frame is designed around stability, stability is inherently strength. Uh, the most communicative, uh, piece of tissue or allotment of mass to stabilize the body is muscle. And when muscle starts to build out a habit around stabilizing tissue, say, for example, I build out muscle around the breath belt, learning how to brace around my rib cage, I started to create a consistency of behavior that happened while I was breathing. And so my breath kind of taught those muscles how to be 
without me having to brace them and flex them. And so it's like taking tissue uh, that I didn't have uh, in my ribs and building it out. And that stability replaced the tension that I had in my neck, my shoulders. And since then, I probably put on 20 pounds of uh, mass. Granted, I haven't been lifting. It's just like a supportive tissue. My frame is much bigger than it was, like significantly so. And you would say the uh, access and the opening up of the airway um, came from kind of the building out of the trunk down below. So that even though we do do like specific stuff around the airway, that's maybe not the best place to start as opposed to where you were putting the belt. Yeah, totally. Uh, I would have, it's all pressure. So it is like if I'm having trouble getting pressure to come down past the belt, I might need to feel myself use more swallow pressure or more, uh, more pressure along my throat uh, or my neck or my thoracic spine. Uh, but the best thing was, is that when the midline is behaving, uh, throughout the system and it's not like segmented where one thing goes off and then gradually you'll feel some recruitment down the stream. If it's all collectively midline reflexive, there's no real hiccups and the spine's pretty stable as a byproduct, then you're going to start to feel the connection of throat and pelvis. And then you're going to feel yourself form around the midline. The issue is exteroception or proprioception. It's largely proprioception. I don't think that uh, exteroception is not exclusively proprioceptive. Um, it is, or sorry, proprioception is not exclusively exteroceptive, but most people depend on um, a foreign force or a, a foreign measure of uh, friction to convey awareness in the tissue. It's because the tissue, like I said, there's an autonomic or reflexive behavior of muscle. We're always re waiting on that, but because most of us don't pay attention to how much we can relax as a byproduct of feeling force. So for example, like uh, dogs, when they shake off, like it's a, it's an effortful thing, but they're eff effectively using energy to like relax we need to do the same thing. That is, we need to use energy. We need to reinstill reflexive behavior, like the inhibitory process when they're shaking, all those muscles that are stopping them from shaking too far, that just automatically fire up. Those exist in our deep abdomen. And if we can get those to fire more effectively, then the throat's probably going to have something that, or the neck is going to have something it's pulling against. That is all the connective value of the rib cage to the hips when that core forms out, that core starts to be the thing that we're breathing into. And the only way that we can have that, the core is very comparative to the neck because they're both transitions that have very little bone around them. It's largely going to be the periphery is very exposed, meaning the periphery, the vagus side is very sensory driven. The backside is more, um, more stable based off of structure, but because most of us are, so midline constricted, we don't have that uh, comfort into laying into our structure. So in focusing on our periphery a little bit, we can reconstitute that, that uh, back structure. But majority of it is, like I said, a reflexive. When I say periphery, the peripheral system is largely a reflexive attention. It's not like you're looking over there focally. You're looking over there half attentively. And if our peripheral body is also not sensorily aware, say our shoulders are rolled forward, say our neck is like really tight in the front, then the likelihood is we're no longer moving around 
our our spine. We're moving our spine with every motion because it's now catering to the position of our midline, the more sensory receptive thing. This episode of Monkey Bars is sponsored by the Mewing with MoveMed online course that you can get right now at movemed.net. If you want to be guided through the applications of some of the theories that we talk about on this podcast, this is going to be a great place for you. And just in general, if you're dealing with any neck pain, jaw pain, or headaches, or just anything upper body related, getting this stuff to feel more connected will probably change the outcomes and the effectiveness of everything else that you're doing. So check it out, Mewing with MoveMed online course. So a good example would be if you've ever received a Charlie horse or a bruise or like a toe stub, the best thing you can do is continue moving on it. If you stand still and you focus on the pain, it's going to be like it's radiating. It's going to be like, what can I otherwise focus on aside from this pain? Probably nothing. However, if you start to reassociate that it's not injured, it's just a perception of pain, mostly a message to communicate the difficulty. Uh, you'll find that that discomfort is going to help you manage around how to resituate the weight again. Cause you're like, I'm uncomfortable in this. I'm uncomfortable in this, but uh, you're only uncomfortable for the most part because that deficit was there in the first place. If you can actualize comfort by way of more activity that is resisting your discomfort, uh, there'll be a huge uh, translation of stress recovery, performative recovery. And that's the thing. Like people say they, there's this one guy, drives me crazy. He's a US, he's a Navy SEAL and very much uh, the case for a lot of like military-esque men. There's like this yelling or screaming dynamic. But one thing you'll always see, I'm talking with a consistency right now. My voice is staying a neutral tone, but there's not like a vein coursing on the side of my neck to maintain this pressure. If you look at most of these people, they're like talking from a point where there's no reflexive behavior of their neck. If you know what that means for your, your, your heart and your nervous system and your brain, it means that you're probably spending a lot of time like uh, meat outside of the fridge. It's not taking care of your nervous system. It's for the most part exacerbating the inflammation. It's exacerbating the state of that lack of activity. So you're like heating it up, heating it up, never cooling it off, never allowing for it to, to relax or be pliable. And so it's going to go with the state of the environment. Majority of people who live in that stress state, they continuously exacerbate that stress state. They continuously step out of the fridge because it's the thing that makes them more comfortable about what they are as opposed to what they can accomplish. If someone has experienced dozens of injuries, which I imagine a U.S. SEAL would have Navy SEAL. I don't know. I keep saying U.S. SEAL. I think that's how you wrote it. But uh, imaginably, most people who have been SEALs have tremendous injury. And it could be a lot of like uh, concussive force, like shell shock or... uh, TBI as a byproduct of having too much gun concussion into the ear or explosive concussion. But I've worked with a number of people, uh, myself included with a tinnitus, but it's way worse. I imagine for someone who's had like explosions go off and they're like the the panic stricture from that is like the whole head starts to lock up. Um, That person is almost fighting their ability to take a deep breath. They're almost fighting their ability to relax because they're governing um, level of activity is stress state. So they, if they were to reduce their tone, their body would probably collapse out of uncertainty. It would probably be like very, very overwhelmed, a little vertigo-esque. It would be like, I don't know how to handle this. And that's because when there's more inputs, when there's more inputs, uh, you're either going to regulate those inputs or you're going to uh, resist uh, by way of like restricting your output 
dependent on how much the tissue can respond to the input. Because uh, most people in that sympathetic state tell their body how to go, the inputs don't mean anything. The inputs are essentially just like, oh, whoa, what are you saying? What are you saying? Like people yelling in the background, like back, backseat drivers. Person doesn't want anything to do with that because they have the mirror to look at that stuff. So they're always like looking at the thing, never cognitively feeling it. And the more focal you are, that is the more you use your visual system or your uh, your uh, neocortex, that is the, the focal framework of your brain, uh, the less you're likely in abiding the limbic system, the uh, subconscious focal system. That is like when you see a dog become alert, all of a sudden it may not necessarily get aggressive. It just like pays attention to something out in the, in the ether, your limbic system or your, your lizard brain is responding to the things that your autonomics or reflexes have said about the stimulus. So if like you have enough sense memory around something and you listen to your sense memory, there's going to be a measure of, Oh, this means that this means that if you don't listen to your sense memory and you're starting to experience things that seem familiar, but not quite, there may be the experience of like uh, that screaming sensation that like overwhelming, like why is it so loud in here kind of uh, experience. I know I grew up like, like that. That was something that I only started to realize was very common around PTSD or like trauma when I started to meet and work with people who had experienced like severe uh, physical or mental trauma. So when somebody's trying to restore their autonomic functions and I guess to some degree take down that sympathetic armor so that they can actually listen to the inputs when you're trying to like reestablish that, I guess, uh, control or pressure, you have to really emphasize like the feeling of it or like the interoception of it versus just like the, the output of it. Like, how do you manage that? So that it's not just a, a, a list of top-down instruction and it's actually like the internal environment uh, given a chance to heal. So the exercise I like is some framework of deep pressure therapy. Uh, which I had taken from having gotten familiar with the breath belt. But after I had started to attend to how much value there was in uh, deep pressure therapy and being able to regulate a neurodivergent state in the nervous system, uh, autistic people and people who are uh, in some way at a neurodivergent deficit, there's a difficulty in being able to process or like uh, they're receiving a lot of orders, but they don't know how to categorize all of it. And it oftentimes just like goes where it can fit. And that means that categorically, it's hard to like pull back up that memory. So that sense memory, that recidivism of, or like that recurrence of that memory is probably a little mixed and it may be a little stressed out because they know they didn't handle it uh, in a coordinated function or way. And that's why emotions exist in the body relative that like our emotions are to give us some member, some retention of sensation relative to the memory of an experience. So instead of us picturing images, which is not really what our memory is, it's a lot of collective sensation. Majority of it would be stuff that comes from our organs. So when I say vagal nerve, we're talking about like primary, one of the primary cranial and uh, body nerves that communicates to uh, uh, organs and our viscera viscera being like if any of those things got injured very possible to die like you can injure your arm you can injure your neck you can injure all types of your spine uh but if which is very very uh lethal in its own respect but if you go into your viscera that's probably something that will more than likely kill you 
anything that happens in that self-contained apparatus, it's, it's so perfect that anything that upsets it, it's going to have an immediate response. It's so compensatory that if there is an injury, there's going to be resounding recruitment to be able to be like, we need to manage this injury so we can stay alive. And so uh, foremost amongst those things are probably our heart. Uh, well, it is our heart. And then our gut and our, uh, our liver. The uh, reason why I say liver is because it is the most motile of the large organs. And I think it's the most motile of our organs um, in that it's so big. It takes up such residence or such uh, real estate in the top side of a rib cage. It's really why we rib flare. Uh, it's the same place as our esophagus. It's the same place as our solar plexus. And lastly, the same place as our thoracolumbar juncture. It ends up being uh, a point of motility or stricture. And if it's, if it's stiff, then we're going to start to move and curve at our neck and our lumbar because we're not able to flex and extend from our most motile point in our back. Um, yeah, so uh, our viscera is super important. If we have uh, a dad bod, it's probably because we are utilizing the surface area and the neurology to relax ourselves without having the ability to also brace. So putting all that blood there, uh, this is something I took from Wim Hof. There's a study on Wim Hof being like uh, the intercostals being able to retain as much heat as he is able to is why his core temperature is able to convey itself uh, for the duration it is. So like a 24 hour period, he can get unsick or something like that, or he can go in the snow and be able to tolerate the snow or the ice or whatever. Reason why he's able to do that is because he takes his core and he sheathes it in the heat that he can retain, that heat is retained by his breathing habit. The only thing that I would say that is non-effectual is that it's not a natural breathing habit. As a matter of fact, it is the least performative stress tolerating breathing habit that I can tell you about. It's going to make you stressed out. It's going to make you very, very stressed out. Reason why it has value is because two things. One, you're burning your fuel supply. So when your fuel, your fuel is fully gone and you're over oxidized, you're going to feel like you're on drugs, just the nature of the brain. That's kind of how it likes to go. Uh, two, uh, you're going to be experiencing a lot of coherent messaging and non-coherent messaging to your reflexive system, your viscera. So your brain's going to be like, oh, we're paying so much attention to this. There's no real threat right now. Even though there's a tremendous amount of movement, we're probably okay. We're probably just going to go in the way of tiredness uh, or stress response. Uh, last time I did it, uh, I did some variation of Wim Hof. It wasn't quite Wim Hof. I had a panic attack. Um the reason why it doesn't work is because it doesn't cater to a frame. It makes you too elastic and it does not condition muscles that hold bones tight and tethered. So like your psoas, for example, gets too much motion. Your ribs, for example, get too much motion. And so there's not a very cohesive framework of how your skeleton fits into itself. Alternatively, if you do a little bit more of the Wim Hof flowability mixture where they tension and they expand. Uh, if you're to be expansive like Wim Hof, and if you were to be contractile in certain ways like flowability is, you'll start to find how your breath can manufacture itself in the twofold expansion, flexion, and they kind of brace against each other. Um, the most effective way I've seen it exemplified is a lot of PRI doing a lot of that balloon breathing. Only thing I don't like about it is they, once again, skip the neck. They skip the throat. 
So it is like everything else. It is where you can indoctrinate pressure, which is usually the esophagus, because most people are not cognizant of how much of their midline that can anaerobically control. Um, put a weight on your chest. Do some deep breathing where you feel like you're heating up the situation without moving the, the, the ball too much. That's probably the most effectual way of deep pressure that, I've, uh, that I can communicate. That's the kettlebelly stuff. Um, alternatively, if you're going to put the weight on your lower belly and you're not going to move it around, you're not going to do much anything with it. It's just for sensation. You might as well use your hands. I think alternatively, if you're going to have the belly, if you're going to have weight on your belly, twist it so you can aggregate, uh, some tension or agonism of the psoas. If the psoas is not super grounded, which it won't be for people who don't have great abs or they don't have great rotational strength, uh, the psoas will grip if you twist the ball over that uh oblique and you try to uh untwist it from the backside or you try to let that ball sink into the abdomen you'll feel a little bit of the grip and the coiling affect of that uh, oblique into the the pelvis uh a little bit like a, a weck coil uh but the coil is going to be happening in your abdomen as opposed to being led by your arm once again if you're rotating from your limbs you're not rotating you're torquing your spine and yes, you have a tolerance for that to an extreme degree. You'll be surprised at how easy it is to sustain injury. The things that you want to look for if someone is stressed out is they can't put on mass. Their tone is always active. That is, they always look like they have some superficiality of tone. So like I have a little bit of tone right here, but I also have a, uh, like a pump in my forearm. What I'm talking about is like the tone on the back of the hands, the really heavy, like uh, tense forearm, and it has the veins coming to it, but it doesn't have the pump in it. It doesn't have the heat residuating it. Uh, hands and feet are opposite of midline. They're the farthest extremity you can have. If you have exceptional tone in your hands and feet, but you don't have great tone near your neck, more than likely stressed out. Relaxed tone and uh, intense tone are two different things. Active sympathetic tone is different than parasympathetic tone. And that's why I, I differentiate with that. Those neck veins you see on people, the red that you'll see on people's faces, those are good indicators that person is not in their right nervous system. They're not relaxed. They're not calm. Even if they know how to use the words, their eyes are all over the place. They're, they're, there's some visceral, like a physical grip on their body that you don't see maybe them holding anything for. One of those like more common grips that is uh, like a postural dysfunction that many people tackle is kind of the, the first thing that they try to train themselves out of is like that depressed like sternum or that kind of like exaggerated uh, gripping here. And then like I said, somebody today who had just like a shit ton of kyphosis, like yeah. they're really pre pressed back there and really small here. Um, what some people do is they use the spine as the driver to try to open that up and right. get that extension, which is something that you do want, but how would you approach it from kind of this midline perspective? Uh, so inhibition is uh, a frame or term to frame uh, how agonist muscles respond to activity. So if you're like super active in your face, your back of your head is probably going to relax and vice versa. Like when we squeeze the back of your head, you'll kind of feel your eyes opening a little bit. Inhibition is a process that majority of people do not exist in because they're so actively in their conscious tissue. 
And because they're so actively in their conscious tissue, they don't even allow for the stuff that would inhibit them to activate. Probably because they didn't experience it when they were young enough or safe enough or dynamic enough that when it now happens, it's way too threatening for them to perceive the allowance. So they don't allow the change or they don't allow their body to like move back. So most of our spine has followed our midline. People say that we're stuck in extension. I think that as a matter of fact, our backside is stuck in flexion and the spine is just drifted forward. And so it is taking up a more extensive posture to manage around how our midline is kind of taken off its shape, but we will be taller and more extensive when we handle the flex, the, this open face on the front end, meaning we'll be able to compress our spine uh, again backward and create a decompressive nature over tissue that doesn't exist anymore because vertebrae have uh, fat, uh, like they've rolled forward a little bit, meaning the belly of the knuckle or the bone in the center is no longer verticalized over itself. It's slightly hemorrhaged forward. And because of that, we need to learn how to compress back down onto the back corner. And then through that back corner, we need to learn how to lean our organs into that four corner, taking the weight off of the tension that we were holding onto into our ribs and our viscera. And then when we can open up that back line of viscera, you'll start to feel how, oh, my spine has been almost non-muscularized or stabilized or supported from adductive tissue or anything really, because it's almost perpetually been driving toward our midline. Interesting. Uh, I can see when people are emotionally unstable. I can see when people are physically injured. I can see when there's like a, a deficit in someone's ability to perceive what's going on at some level of their cognition. Only reason why I'm able to see that is because I was always on the far end of the spectrum where I was like, I'm very uncomfortable. And I started to pay attention to how I could make myself more comfortable or because of how extreme it was, I saw that I would tolerate much less discomfort than other people around me because I knew I was already starting at a full basket of stress and that when it would come into my environment, I was like, you guys are not doing a good enough job handling this shit. This is fucking crazy. I'm losing my mind from this. I need to handle it. And so I learned from an early age that I was going to be one of the few people making uh concerted efforts to make myself more comfortable, which would inherently make a lot of people who weren't making those efforts more uncomfortable. So uh, mirror behavior is something that a lot of people fix onto. It's why we all end up shaped similarly. And then you see like a couple people who are like, wow, that person has a beautiful body. It's not a beautiful body as much as just a stable nervous system. It shows itself as potentiated because they are able to have fun in their body without the restriction of their brain perceiving limited availability and so they're not in the middle of an exercise when their brain can't uh, perceive something locking up, but still moving. That's how majority of us move. That's why majority of us are limited. I can tell you definitively, if you have reflexive nature into your body, you're not going to feel like you have to stretch 10 minutes before you go for a run. I don't have great running uh, habit at present, but I know I could always go for a run and not have an issue with it just because my system is pretty well familiar with it. Um, do you think there's still value in like doing some drilling before say a run or an athletic endeavor? Should you kind of understand the nature of your tendencies to maybe like drift away from your midline or say load uh, a certain portion of the foot? Yeah. I don't think you have to do anything that's motion oriented. I think you just have to do something that creates better awareness of the inputs leading into your feet. 
I'll do some like tempering. Like I'll put my foot on something. And then as I stand on it, I'm starting to condition more weight through that. And if I can even out the disbursement of uh, weight between both feet, I'm standing better on my feet. They're more buoyant immediately. I don't have to stretch. Alternatively, I may climb onto something or do some jumps, like just jumping off the ground to feel what it's like for the reflexive nature of my, my limbs to reset, to reset, to reset. Because it's not about how you project. It's truthfully, it's never the real thing about, everyone's talking about the place you build muscle is the eccentric motion. The place you build muscle is the reflexive behavior. If you're allowing for yourself to handle something but not control it, you're resisting it, but you're not defining how it has to go. You're only going with the framework of your body. You're not like limiting it to where you're developed. Your system is going to start to become more bioavailable, meaning that if there's something that's stressing your body out, you can, in the middle of that motion, figure out how to stabilize. Uh, you'll see that um, like people dropping something heavy, being able to catch it if they're uh, uh, fit. Oftentimes there's like improved reflexes. Uh, but the less fit you are, the less available those reflexes are. It's a byproduct of tissue, but it's also a byproduct of potentiation. If you feel like you land on the ground and that vibration travels through your entire body and it doesn't brace, uh, it makes your brain rattle, that's a bad predictability mechanism. You don't have a system that's vestibular stabilizing on its own. So you're going to have to upregulate your actual system to be like, all right, this is hard for me to run. How do I make it easier for me to run right now? And then most people will try to overcognify it instead of creating more tissue to be able to receive the force. Uh, any person that works too much in their extremity, like GOTA, FP, uh, flowability, there's very little mass. There's not a whole lot of muscle in their frames. Not to say they're not fit, but these people are working on a point of their, their nervous system and they're not making it so that nervous system is more tolerant it's more adaptive. It does what they say they want for it to, does not respond when they tell it not to do something. So like everything has to be a cognitive decision in that framework. It can no longer be something that's guided by the reflex. Um, one such example is like my dog will yawn really heavily when she's stressed out and she's like, uh, she's trying to relax. And so she'll be like this, whatever, and then she'll shake it off and then she'll yawn. And that whole collective is like a midline relief. It's a tensile relief. It's the exact opposite of telling your body, I need this form to walk around with. If I'm not moving around in the proper way, if I'm doing these wrong things right now, I'm messing up. That's not how we should be operating our body. Not even a little bit. I, so watched, not uh, I watched a dog show yesterday. Like, yeah the best of the show and it was the weirdest thing because they're completely manipulating how the dog is standing to try to achieve the perfect stance like literally as they come out they have like the leash around the neck most of the owners are like dragging upward super hard to achieve yeah. like the uprightness and and just to make it so they don't like they aren't that heavy on the ground they have this like really light sense of themselves and even as they're standing oh the, the owners are like putting their leg back in place, tail up, head up. And it's literally how like a lot of people correct or self-correct their own posture in the same way. So it's uh, two things. Uh, open body posture makes you see the full scope of the creature. So you can see how big and beautiful it is. That's what we're trying to do, respective of you can grow bigger, all that kind of stuff. The thing we're not doing, which is being done by these other systems, is 
when you make something operate in a framework of specificity, it does not operate in the framework of allowance that probably has the injury, injuries you're trying to avoid. Uh, if you are working with a framework of fixed behavior and you're not allowing for there to be mistakes, you're not allowing for there to be changes up uh, in, the, in the movement or whatever, then every single time you're doing it, you're either doing it right or you're doing it wrong. And that's one, not how the world works, unless you are physically trying to work towards something uh, monetarily, you still can make, you still make mistakes on most everything you do. But if you're telling your body, the one thing that is a living calculator, that it cannot make mistakes, then there is no allowance for doing stuff. You have to just either stay within your realm or not do stuff. And I can tell you definitively, my shoulders aren't as big as they are because I tell them they can only move a certain way. It's because I stretch them into positions that feel threatening. And then I spend a little bit of time there and I'm like, all right, let's figure out how to make this strong. How can I lever off of this? So if I'm in this position and I get myself to feel like I can start to push off of it, well, I may have uh, take a compromised position and put it into a, a more stable one. I'm not, however, going to tell myself I can only have my hand at this part of my body or do 90 degrees on everything because Joel Seedman said so. Uh, there's a fabric of lunacy that exists in a lot of people. If you see their behavior, these people that don't have facial expressions, they don't have whatever, you're talking to people that are very fixated in a stress state. If there is not a relax, if there is not a, like a, if you put your hand to their face and you know that you couldn't stretch them into a smile just because of how fixed they are into their focus, probably don't hang out with that person because if their face is tight, their ass is tight. And your reflexive nature throughout your midline is that if your ass is tight, you're always flexed. You're always sympathetic. There's always a readiness to go. So even if you're wanting to be calm, your physiology is saying, we don't have the ability. Uh, that just brings me to my last point. I'm going to end on this guy. Uh, men and women are able to do Kegels. It is the effort to get the, the midline coincidentally engaged. The Kegel uh, is active by way of your breath and as well as your pelvic floor tension. It comes in the middle to meet at your core. If you're not Kegeling well, which I am 100% positive, most people are not, especially in that I've had to figure out adequate language relative to having seen other uh, Kegeling descriptions. I'm like, that doesn't help anyone. So what, what I figured out, what I'm using for uh, a Kegeling, uh, Kegeling cueing is very effective. It's actually making immediate progress in people I know uh, I've seen breathe totally unfamiliarly, uh, like unclearly. And then just the awareness of these cues, just like a little bit of cognizance and they're breathing really well and making huge changes. Uh, you need to know how to use your pelvic floor. You need to know how to breathe through your throat. And in the end, that creates your core, uh, your torque point, your chi point, uh, whatever you want to call it. You can even consider the midline to be chakra points because the, the language, even though different, the physical locations are very similar. Um, energetics have like a, a wildly uh, profound layover in science, which is so cool. Uh, WEC does a lot of the hand stuff, which is very energetic. Um, I have comments there. I think I've talked on it before. Regardless, it doesn't matter. Stress state is taking a lot from us. 
And when we can recognize what it means for a midline to not be in a stress state, we can recognize what it is to be in a growth state. And anyone that's listening to this in your own time, I promise to you, if you hit either Ben or myself up and we walk you through a little bit of that breath, uh, breath cueing, uh, number one, you will relax in the first four minutes, maybe less. Number two, you'll feel a different framework or a different like time lapse, like your brain will have perceived itself figuring stuff out quicker while the world's going at the same pace. So it'll feel like things slow down. Um, calm comes as a byproduct, but uh, you're going to con connect with your body in a way that brain body connection will make sense. Meditation will start to make sense. Meditation didn't last to me until I started to be able to do this stuff. And uh, that's because I'm super sensitive. And if I'm breathing and I'm not paying attention to what I'm experiencing, but I'm trying to pay attention to what I'm thinking about, it's not neuro neuro neurologically sound. Your sensory information is priority. You cannot bypass sensory information for mechanical information. Biomechanics don't exist without biosensations. So if you don't have a sensory input or output registry, your mechanics are shit. And MFR is not going to do anything toward that if you don't have the ability to perceive your viscera, your guts, because that's where a majority of the blood pools and a majority of the blood comes from. So you need for your the sponge, the pump, to be sending adequate blood around. Otherwise, it's going to stay uh, stagnant in your veins. 70% uh, of your resting blood volume hangs out in... Uh, it's like a ven venous reserve, I think. And it's, it's just a matter of it not... Uh, actively pumping or contributing to the pump of the remainder of the body because it probably would bring to light that the pump is not very reciprocal. It, it almost exists in an external direction and doesn't uh, doesn't bring in the remainder of the pump. Uh, same story, if your gut is not used to saturating blood, it's not gonna bring the blood back. So if your diaphragm is not solid and you're fixed in your arms and legs, uh, Man, there's, there, I know what I'm talking about because I've seen it. I'm telling you definitively, if, if we have not met, if I've never worked on you, I can guarantee you about 80% of the way, you need a little bit of movement to figure out how to breathe, to figure out how to emphasize your sensations. After you've done that for, say, a couple of sessions, I can promise to you, you're going to have the best results in the weight room, the best results in the bedroom, the best results in the the, the bathroom, like straight up. <laughs> this is actually how it works. Uh, one dude I worked with, he had the best sex of his life. He took the biggest shit of his life and he was the most relaxed of his life. And these were all comments that had happened in the span of maybe like a week and a half. And honestly, this was like two years ago before I had most of my language foundated. So I promise bedroom, bathroom, and uh, what's the other one? Whatever. It doesn't matter. You're going to be feeling great. <laughs> There's our marketing campaign right there. Yeah. Uh, so, so in summary, someone who's just starting out, uh, the first thing you tackle, it's, it's that midline. It's the sensation of it, and it's doing things that are going to create like an, uh, an awareness around it or pressure into it that you can then kind of start to map out in your body. It's not that you necessarily need to have that, but it is a very useful tool. Um, massage gun is another one that gives you stimulus that you are just feeling. You're not having to do anything with, right? Yeah, it's echolocation in the body. It's like... Uh why some of us might feel more comfortable talking because there's sound around us because we're receiving inputs to be able to, mm. to 
reference where we are location wise, where we are in the like in present time, how can we be relative to the world happening around us? And it's usually sensory inputs giving us that relationship. Biomechanics are the far end of that. If you're if you're not listening to your sensory inputs, I promise to you, your biomechanical outputs are going to be dog shit. And eventually the goal is to uh, be autonomically listening and not have to have so much conscious attention to it. But you can only really carve out that like ability to listen through some sort of conscious intervention initially. Yeah, I mean, if I'm going to go kind of loose on the science here, your ears are on the side of your body, your eyes are on the front of your body. If you're focused in your eyes and the focal of your body, the likelihood is you're going to turn based off your eyes and you're going to not give yourself the reference for how big the side of your head is, the periphery of things. So instead of allowing your periphery to be relaxed and see stuff, you're probably going to turn with it, which is how most people operate. Uh, in that case, the visual system takes over. Ears start to become a little bit less uh, physically big because there's less space being governed over the throat area and like what we're turning over. And then that means that we're compromising the vagal nerve. You can kind of see if you're watching right now, but creating space for your ear to kind of listen to your body. Like I'm going to put some tension on the back of my ear and how I can pull it backward. That's giving me space for my neck to open up backward, my throat to be more big. And so I feel less congestion immediately and that's just like less midline focus of my face uh but relax happens when our body makes room for itself when it can move and all the friction that's happening all day every day in our body isn't also disrupting the information that's coming from our guts to our brain and vice versa